You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show, episode 122. On today's show, we talk about the Plain of Jars, an African child burial, and Arabian mustatils. Let's dig a little deeper. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This week we've got a few news articles for you, as we mentioned in the introduction. Rachel, how's it going? It's going good. I'm excited about these articles. I found some really cool ones this week. I'm excited that it's not pouring down rain on the top of our RV like it has been the last couple days. Yes, that's nice too. It's actually sunny out today for the first time in a long time, so after we're done recording, we need to get our butts outside. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, All right, so let's bring up this first article. It's about jars. In Laos. Yes. I mean, these have been... You, you may even have seen a screensaver about these things. I mean, the, the pictures of these jars in a field have been around for a really long time. It's not like they're any new thing. But they were recently under some additional scrutiny and analysis, and that's what we're going to talk about today. There's an article in PLOS One, which stands for Public Library of Science, and it's really just like open source journals that people are publishing, and they're pretty great. Yeah. We first found this article because it was in like Popular Science, I think, or something like that. And fortunately, and always, always do this when you're reading news articles, like on your news app in the morning or however you get your news, always do this. They mentioned that there was an article in a journal that they had found this information in. And I had to go track that journal down because these people don't like to link to those (laughs) journals sometimes. So, but it wasn't that hard. And I was able to find the source material because it's very interesting to read the article from the media source, in this case, Popular Science. And the title of that article is, Archaeologists Finally Uncovered Some of the Mystery Behind Laos's Plane of Jars. That's the article. And then I was pretty easily able to find the journal that this is related to. So anyway, that's just your like hot tip about how to do science in the media these days is find the original journal. (laughs) And I think the hallmark of a well-written popular article, because these guys, they troll the journals. They know when stuff comes out. Yeah. Because these journals, some of them are still periodical, like Nature and, and others like that. But a lot of them do have articles that they just release on their inner on their website mm-hmm. and, and not necessarily articles but maybe like editorials and reviews and sometimes just full-on research articles yeah so these people watch them and a, a hallmark of, of a good one is one that actually cites back to the original article so always look for that and i totally have to eat my words a little bit they definitely linked to the, the journal mm-hmm. in the article there's another one we're going to talk about later on where they didn't link to it and yeah. I had to go hunt it down. But this one, they did link to it. Most of them don't, I've noticed. Yeah, so. it's like they don't want to link away from their website. I learned that when I was mm-hmm. working 
for a large online company that they sure. never want to link you away from their website. So anyway. yeah, well, the actual research article we'll put in the show notes, but it's called "Dating the Megalithic Culture of Laos." which is lowercase, which is weird. That must be a typo. Yeah. Uh, Radiocarbon, optically stimulated luminescence, and U slash PB zircon results, which is probably some sort of uranium-led dating techniques. Mm -hmm. And optically stimulated luminescence is um, OSL, as as it's commonly referred to. So, But we'll talk about all that in a minute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's go to the beginning here, because I had heard of these, but I didn't really know a whole lot about them. But the last plane of jars is a sort of like a 30 square mile area that is strewn with thousands of these jars. And I will admit that a lot of places make it seem like it's just like you walk across this boundary and it's just like jars for miles and miles. But what it actually is, is like clusters of them Mm -hmm. that are kind of grouped together throughout this 30 square mile area. And a lot of them are clustered in large groups, like maybe hundreds of them. But then there's also like some singles and some smaller numbers and each one is its own site. So kind of think of it as clusters of them in this 30 square mile area, not like one giant field of them. And what were these jars used for? Well, they don't know. They're made of stone. So I had seen pictures of these and not really comprehended what that means, but they are made of stone. They are carved out of stone. They are megalithic, giant, three to 10 feet high jars that are carved out of stone. They can weigh up to 14 tons. So they're huge. Well, weren't a lot of them used as burials though? No. Okay. There's no evidence of burials inside the jars. Inside the jars. Yeah. Not mm. not that I had seen in reading this article and a couple others that I came across. But associated with some other burials in this article, they do have like little jars with caps on them. It exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. So the interesting thing is this: these excavations that they've been doing have been sort of around the jars, the stone jars and under the jars and basically just trying to get the context for what the jars were for out of the surrounding ground and excavations, right? Mm-hmm. And they found a lot of burials there. And some of those burials were in ceramic jars, similar in shape, though not size. They're normal jar size for a human burial. Yeah, They found those excavating there. So it does seem like they are related to that and that this whole megalithic stone jar thing is some kind of ritual burial area. But, and I think they just need more research here. I think the one big thing that I took away from this is that they were able to date the soil right below the jars that are still in situ. And they think that they could have been placed there up to 3,000 years ago, right? Yeah. However, the analysis of the human remains and the artifacts found with the human remains have only been dated to like seven or 800 years ago. So there's a disparity in those two dates. And it makes you wonder if they were in constant use for 3,000 years. And the the samples that they took to get the seven or 800 years from the human burials are just a sample. And there are others there that are older that they haven't encountered yet. Or maybe they were already there and then people you know, 2000 years later started using them for burials. I don't know. There's like a lot of speculation that you, that you can go into with that. And there's still a lot of mystery, I think. Makes you wonder too. I mean, these jars are just out and on the surface. And if there's, you know, burials nearby, burials associated with the jars, but not inside the jars, mm-hmm. you know, were they looted? Were they, yeah. you know, were they disturbed in some other way? And were they used for some other purpose 3,000 years ago when these yeah. things were placed? Because that's that's a big question this 
article was trying to answer was when were these stone jars placed? Because you can't really date the stone. Well, you can date the stone, but it's going to say it's three billion years old, right? Right. Because of the right. stone. Yeah. Oh, and they did seem to find the quarry yeah. related well, to where the stones came from, but that still doesn't really give you date so much. Well, it does kind of because they took zircon is oh, in the stone. Yeah. yeah. And you can tell it has to do with exposure rates okay. to the environment, right? So when you have the original source material and you kind of dig in and you find out, okay, this is the, I don't know if they're doing amounts or what they're doing, but it's basically basically comparing ratios from the undisturbed source material mm. with the disturbed material in the jars and then oh. measuring the difference between the two. Okay. And then you can tell a rough amount of time of when the material was actually quarried and excavated and oh, disturbed. What yeah. cool science. That is so yeah. neat. I didn't even know that was possible. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And the OSL, optically stimulated luminescence, is used in dating, but also I thought it was used for source material configuration like you pointed at something and you you find out like what's the composition of something hmm. it might, might be mixing that up with something else though i don't know a lot about yeah dating so i i can't hmm. well either way or <laughs> either way they tested the material underneath the jars yeah because when these jars were placed so to speak the ground underneath them hasn't seen daylight since that happened. Right. And that affects the ground. Yeah. It has a, a, a massive impact on the ground, so so to speak. But using those two those two techniques with the, the Zircon and the OSL and, and, and some of the other stuff they did, they were able to come up with some time frames. Yeah. Which is which is pretty cool. So Yeah, I think it's really neat and I'm I'm just very intrigued about the whole area and how it was used by people because very clearly people were using this area i don't think there was much evidence of like domestic occupation or domestic use it really was all burial related or ritual related mm-hmm. potentially and it just it kind of makes me think about like modern day people right yeah. let's say you're in greece somewhere and there's a temple there that's two thousand years old people today love to go there and check it out and are just interested in it, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like a thousand years ago, people would do the same thing to something that was from a previous generation or group of people too. So like, it's entirely possible that those jars were put there 3,000 years ago and then a later group of people were like, whoa, those are really cool. We're going to incorporate that into our current beliefs and ideas yeah. and rituals and and they they used it for a different purpose than they were originally put there, I guess is yeah. what I'm getting at here. <laughs> yeah, which is fairly common when you have something on the landscape for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, people, yeah. people knew about it forever. Like I said, these weren't hidden. These weren't just recently discovered. Right. You know, they've been around for a long time. So Yeah, and they just kind of incorporate it into yeah. their current life. Yeah, I'm, I'm rereading some paragraphs here on the OSL stuff, too. And it was specifically used for the dating. Uh, I was So that was right. And... They took the sediment samples from underneath the jars, like we mentioned, mm-hmm. and the last time they were exposed to light was when the jars were not there. You know, right. they placed the jars on top of them, and then they weren't exposed to light, and that's what that's how they use the OSL dating to oh. um, basically basically measure that. It's incredibly complex, uh-huh. right? They could basically do it with a machine though, and and drop this thing in there, and and it's pretty cool how they do that. Do they have to like fully move the stone jar out no. of the way or can they like c- kind of tunnel underneath basically? Yeah, it says they were collected by 
horizontally hammering 20 centimeter lengths of 35 millimeter diameter opaque plastic tubing oh. directly into the sediment. So they basically core sampled they it. They cored it, like, but yeah. in a horizontal direction rather yeah. than a vertical direction. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, so they dug down next to it and then hammered it in. Yeah, okay, Because cool. I would imagine that sediment with some of those really heavy jars was really compact. I would imagine, yeah. And they wanted the sediment that was directly beneath the jar mm-hmm. because you don't want sediment that's like even a centimeter below the jar because that's not the stuff that was exposed to light. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's not the stuff that was... That's always been dark. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, the other thing I wonder about, and I didn't, I don't remember reading it in this article. Maybe you do, but have they done any testing on the residue on the inside of the jars at all, or can they? Are they too exposed to the elements? Maybe. Well, I don't know if the focus of this was residue analysis on the jars to see what was inside there, but they did do yeah. radiocarbon dating on some of the remains. Yeah. So I know that, but that doesn't, you know, yeah, that doesn't answer your question. Yeah, those but are separate. From that the was just one of the other things that they did. So mm-hmm. the three things was the zircon analysis, the OSL, and then the radiocarbon dating, because dating was the focus of this article. Okay. Right? Yeah. Use was not necessarily the focus of this right. research. So they wouldn't so do that residue. Might be, yeah, that might be another another article. Yeah. So that's the thing with articles too. You're wondering when you're reading this, we're like, well, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they yeah. do that? But you know, they probably had a field season where they did lots of stuff. And but when you write a paper, your paper has a thesis. Right. What, what question are you trying to answer with your paper? What methods did you try to use to discover what that answer was? And what were your conclusions? Mm-hmm. So you don't put 17 things in a paper. You put one thing in a paper. And right. their question was, how old are these jars? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is what they came up with. So while they may have collected the data to answer other questions, those are going to be in other papers. Yep. All right. Well pretty cool yeah i think it's really neat and it makes me want to put laos on my list of places to go i want to do oh my god this it's is pretty, what we're gonna it's pretty do lousy place to go oh you're the worst <laughs> 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 no it's a unesco heritage site now it was just added like two years ago i think mm-hmm. so i think our like bucket list goal should be to go to all of the unesco heritage sites it wouldn't take too long, I'm sure. Yeah, it's only MBD. like six of them, right? <laughs> yeah, wouldn't be too bad. Oh, yeah. It'll be awesome. Let's do it. All right. So let's go from Laos to Africa and talk about some really old buried dead children. We'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30% off your first three months or go to Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com and use the code T-A-S. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. 
Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 122. And we are now moving to Africa. And, you know, as somebody who runs the Archaeology Podcast Network, somehow I get on mailing lists as a media person. And I actually heard about this pre-release when they sent it to me a few days ago. And then Mm -hmm. I think it was May 5th when the that was yesterday as we're recording this so may 5th when the embargo was lifted and people were able to post about it and they did like a lot of people posted yeah. about it so now we're going to talk about it but it's basically it's called africa's oldest human burial site and i know one of the articles we're linking to is through national geographic but i mean the basics of this let's just talk about it first off it was found in kenya the coast of kenya i believe it was yeah pretty close to the coast yeah like 10 miles ish the other thing is this was found if i'm remembering from the article correctly like four or five years ago yeah yeah and there was almost nothing left it was all i mean it was fairly decomposed i mean there was just not a lot to find it was just very fragile they were able to separate the bone from the material it's in but it took a lot of like intensive lab work i believe well they had they cast it all in the field they plaster yeah, casted the whole yeah. thing and just took it all to the lab. Yeah. And it's just taken forever to get this thing basically lab excavated out of the plaster yeah. to figure out what they have. Um, yeah. But they had a tooth and they had some other stuff. and They knew it was human for sure. Oh, yeah. It's definitely human. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, what makes this special, I mean, there's, you know, literally billions of people buried in Africa, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what makes this special is we don't have a lot of great examples of humans being human, for lack of a better way to say that, that go back this old. And what I mean by that is, I mean, the human Homo sapiens sapiens dates back, depending on where you look, as much as 200,000 years. Mm -hmm. But, you know, usually around 200,000 years ago, they were still basically extremely primitive in their culture, in their thinking, and how they acted, and, you know, very much tribal hunter-gatherers, you know, just little more than animals to be I, honest i don't think like death rituals really played a huge role in that like yeah hunter gatherer like we need food to survive kind of an environment right right so there's not a lot of burials basically N- no not a lot of intentional burials yeah yeah but this this child was clearly buried and it looks like they were saying like a pillow, but it looks like like probably, you know, like leaves and sticks and things were placed under her head. Yeah. They made some kind of yeah. some kind of thing that propped her head to up. support it. Yeah. And because as as decomposition happened, the head sort of like fell down and they can see that. Yeah. It's interesting to me that they can tell that it was propped up. And I'm, I'm wondering how they can tell that, because it might have to do with. When the body, when you die, if they didn't bury her right away or if they buried her right away or whatever, the body goes into rigor mortis. And I wonder if the something happens to the bones when it goes into rigor, because then after you decompose, I mean, probably hundreds of years went by at least before she decomposed and the material under her decomposed. Mm-hmm. The material under her head probably decomposed way quicker because she wasn't buried in a coffin. Right. She was buried in the dirt. Like in a pit. Yeah. yeah so when that stuff decomposed... It's interesting to me how they can even tell that. I'm not. I'm not 100% sure how that works, but I think it's because of the angle that they found the head or the skull bones at. But but couldn't they have just laid her that way at that angle? It's entirely possible. I, they definitely say yeah. that it's possible that that's what happened. They're not saying for sure that sure. she was on a pillow, but but the 
the big thing here is she was she was wrapped in a shroud. Yes. It seems, and she was and her head was nestled on a, on a pillow. Those are the two big key components here, which tells me, man, if this was happening seventy eight thousand years ago, it's not like that was the you know somebody just said this is going to be the first one. Let's do let's do it this way mm-hmm. because this is our baby child here, and you know we're really sad now. It was it was probably something that was happening. Yeah. You know, and it's just like when. When did that start? Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see because, you know, not to relate humans to other animals, but let's relate humans to other animals. I mean, even take like a dog, for example. If a dog has a litter of puppies and one of those puppies dies, anybody who's ever been a dog owner knows that the dog is visibly sad. Yeah. Like visibly sad that the puppy is dead. I mean, they get over it pretty quick because they had like 14 of them, but <laughs> they're visibly sad. And like when a, it, it will, to use an example of a dog again, because they're such good human companions. If you have two dogs and one of them dies or two cats or something like that, the other animal is visibly upset by it. Yeah. So if you go back to, you know, ape-like species and, you know, humans, early humans, they would have been visibly sad if a member of their family died. Just because they're primitive and running around half naked doesn't mean that they're not going to be sad. Yeah. But when did they decide to protect and bury their dead? Because covering somebody in a shroud symbolically... And then putting them underground says, I don't want you to be eaten by animals. Yeah, I think from what I was reading, there's some speculation because the other early graves that have been found in Africa, this one dates to 78,000 years ago, but there's been some others that were in the like 69,000 years ago, 74,000 years ago, like in that time frame. So Mm -hmm. equally old. They are also of children. And there is a little bit of speculation that these sort of primitive populations recognized that the life of a child was cut short and that is like lost potential and and all of that not that they like physically thought of it that way but Mm -hmm. that was you know you can see that with a child and and therefore they took more care with their burial whereas an older person passing away an adult like that was sort of considered part of life and it was more natural and there might not have been as much ceremony around it I mean, living in that environment, I would have bet very few people died from what we today would call natural causes. But back then, they would probably would have been called getting mauled by a lion a natural cause. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, <laughs> that was probably like <laughs> life on the. Yeah. Oh, ja- Jaguar Paul got mauled. So I guess uh, I guess we'll move on. <laughs> you were the worst. <laughs> So, I mean, that's how you get the name Jaguar Paul. You like survived that once, right? So anyway, I think that it does say a lot about humans. And man, this really leads me into another discussion of humanity and how disappointed I am in us. Because if we're burying people 78,000 years ago, we're always finding stuff that, that we did as humans that are just impressive you know, tens of thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why did it take so long to invent space travel? Oh my God. <laughs> why do I not have a hoverboard right now? And why am I not living on another planet? Yeah. Physics. That's just, not that's hard. Physics. physics is hard. Physics is hard, but look how much we figured out in the last 500 years, yeah, right? Look well. how much we figured out. We came up with all the equations. We used them. We built rockets and we've been to the moon and now we've been to Mars. Well, our robots have. So, I, it just makes me wonder, man, the, the pace, the actual pace of things is so mind-numbingly slow in prehistory. It is. And it might be the small number of humans that were around. So, yeah. you know, more people means more innovation and, you know, playing off of each other. Whereas here they're in small bands and it just slows things down when there's less interaction. Well, everything goes back to agriculture. 
Yeah, that too. And, and it makes you wonder too why it took so long to develop something like agriculture, right? Because agriculture allowed us to become more sedentary, which allowed some people to have idle time to do things mm -hmm. and, and not think of just survival for once. Mm -hmm. And when you have the ability to not think of just survival for once, you have the ability to think about other stuff. Exactly. And that's when things happen. Yeah. But anyway, this is a, a really interesting article and it does say a lot about early humans in Africa and what they were doing and, and, their and what they were thinking. Yeah. Oh, and also, like, go look at this article just to see where the cave is. Because if I got to go to work every <laughs> yeah. day with that cave as my surrounding, I right. would be a very happy human because it just looks spectacular. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I've been to Kenya, but only to Nairobi to drive to Tanzania. That's like more went out to the coast. I was going to say that's more like deserty type of a situation. <laughs> it's pretty right? deserty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this, the cave is just amazing. And I think that also speaks to the intention behind the burial because it's such a beautiful spot. Maybe it was chosen in part because of the beauty, mm -hmm. you know, as a, as a resting place for a treasured tiny human yeah well in in later societies too you know, across the planet buried their dead inside their homes yeah some they, did, they yeah. buried them in the floor inside their yeah, homes yeah. and you know a cave like this i mean there's a whole cave system here so it's not like caves were in short supply but i wonder if well a i wonder if the family did here live here for a little while and just buried her there and then the family, you know, moved on or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. Nobody nobody inherited the cave. Or if they're gonna find other burials. Yeah, it's possible. You know, was it like a burial area? That would be a whole that would be a whole new thing right there is having like a cemetery, for lack of a better way to say that. Oh, they'd have to completely rethink because right now they're yeah. thinking that burial was just for members of the group that in their minds deserved yeah. it. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a normal right aspect of life to die sure. this young. So Which is again odd, isn't it? Like it's not that easy to keep a child alive now. You know, yeah, they're always getting true. into stuff. Yeah, it does make you wonder about like <laughs> Because like infant mortality and stuff is like definitely a thing. When you look at some of the people alive today that, you know, certain religions don't really believe in birth control and they just keep pumping out kids. Right. I mean, they may have seven, ten kids today. Mm -hmm. Families back then, I would imagine that you had a lot of kids and a lot of them died, well, which surprises me. Maybe. But I think it was because the only way to feed a baby was with your boob. So and you only got two of them, I guess you only, well, yeah, but like your body won't allow you to most of the time, if everything's biologically working properly, your body doesn't allow you to get pregnant again until the, the last child has been weaned for the most part. That's mm -hmm. accurate. Now there's weird things that can happen, obviously, but so like you would probably have like a solid two, maybe even three years between pregnancies, which is actually kind of a long time. So anyway. maybe, I don't know. My mom didn't 18 months. Yeah. Well, your mom was probably not breastfeeding you. Oh, that's probably true. Yeah. So if you stop, oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So if you stop breastfeeding, exactly. I guess you can, your body will figure it out and yep. you can get pregnant again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I never really thought about that. But how, do you know anything about women's health? Not really. No. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> but prehistoric women also... <laughs> Also, I know literally nothing. Yeah. Well, so, most of us know literally nothing about them. So yeah. I'm just speculating oh, based on I what do. I know about the modern woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sadly, I know nothing about the modern woman. So. Clearly. 
<laughs> we have no children. <laughs> I don't know how it all works. All right. So on that note. <laughs> on the Chris knows nothing about women note. Yeah. We're going to move over to the Arabian desert, Saudi Arabia, and talk about some mustatils back in a minute. You may have heard my pitch for membership. It's a great idea and really helps out. However, you can also support us by picking up a fun t-shirt, sticker, or something from a large selection of items from our tea public store. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash shop for a link. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop to pick up some fun swag and support the show. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen. Welcome back to segment three of episode 122 of the Archaeology Show. So this segment, we are moving across the world a little ways here to the Arabian Desert in Saudi Arabia. And the thing that we're looking at is based on an article that came out in Antiquity. And it's about these mysterious stone structures in Saudi Arabia that are older than the pyramids. That's how it was put in the NBC article that I found about it. <laughs> Things in our world are either older or younger than the pyramids and relative to the size of a football field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like the one thing that people can visualize. So they always, you know, relate it to that. So yeah, it's anyway. like a zero period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But these are really, really cool structures. They they do consider them monumental architecture. And they're called mustatils. And what's going on there is they are basically these long rectangular structures made of stone. And they are dotted all over the northwestern desert in Saudi Arabia. So before we get too far, I want to talk about like we did in the last segment or one of the last segments about what the article is really talking about, because the actual article, and you can find it at Cambridge University Press, they're the like clearinghouse for American antiquity. Uh-huh. And the article is titled, now this is a peer-reviewed article that was published online, actually it wasn't published in American antiquity, it was published online. It's, a, it's an open access uh, yeah, one, it's yeah, one so you can read the whole thing. Exactly, yeah. which is pretty cool, so we'll have the link in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. But the actual title is called The Mustatils, Cult and Monumentality in Neolithic Northwestern Arabia. So they're not really talking about anything else. This is the title kind of speaks to their thesis statement. Mm -hmm. You know, they're talking about cult and monumentality. So a little bit of religion and a little bit of big stuff uh, is what that means related to the Mustatils Mm -hmm. in the Neolithic time period of Northwestern Arabia. So I just like to say that because. You know, you see the you see the article headlines, and they'll usually pull something out that yeah. they pulled from the thing. But these guys are they're not going to be all wide ranging and talking about ten thousand things. They're talking about one thing. Yeah, exactly. It's just your typical media thing where they look for something that is 
astounding or mysterious or whatever, you know? So in this case, the, the article that I originally saw was by NBC and they titled their article, these mysterious stone structures in Saudi Arabia are older than the pyramids, which of mm. course there's your pyramid reference like we were talking about and then mysterious and they are kind of mysterious but like i don't think they're as mysterious as nbc wanted you to, <laughs> to believe that they are so um there's charcoal dates for these that date them back to about 5000 bce so they have a pretty good date on some of them not all of them but some of them they're really long like i said rectangular structures they can be 20 to 620 meters in length and what is going on there is there's these long kind of low-ish stone walls Mm -hmm. and they're parallel like parallel stone walls right and then on either end they're capped by a much like shorter length of wall so they're very long skinny rectangles and one end of it is usually a more of a platform than a wall so there's like a a larger structure that's all filled in with stone and then at the other end there can be a door or an opening through the wall there sometimes there's not it just depends it there sometimes is sometimes isn't there's more than a thousand of them that have been seen they've flown airplanes and gotten a lot of aerial footage of these because you can see them super clearly from above they just like these linear rectangular structures from above are really easy to see so they've identified a lot through aerial photography and as far as i can tell it looks like not a huge amount of excavation and research has been done into them And this article is kind of representing one of the first like major excavations that has happened. At least that's how I interpreted it. That could be wrong because you know how it is when you're reading an article. Sometimes you don't really get the full picture of what the previous. But anyway, it seems like there hasn't been a lot of of research in the past. So reading the article in the introduction, it says that there's thousands of stone structures, formations, whatever you want to call it, on the landscape in this yeah. area of Saudi Arabia. And there's way fewer of these, uh, you know, we say rectangles, but in science we say rectilinear. Uh, <laughs> oh, true. That is a better word. Yeah. That that makes so much more sense because I'm yeah. like trying to describe it. I'm like, well, it's rectangle, but it's not like, like it's yeah. a very specific kind of rectangle. And yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. So they're rectilinear and... They they just haven't been as well studied as some of the other things mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Usually it takes research funding and somebody to have interest in something to go out and actually study these things. So yeah. other shapes and, and other types of stone, uh, monumental stone architecture have been studied. Yeah. But these just didn't really yeah. ever get the treatment. Yeah. Like to be clear, it seems like the group of people that were, you know, occupying this area for thousands of years, they, they created tons of different structures in this area. This is just one type of them that this study is focused on and they did do some excavations specifically in that platform area that I mentioned that's mm-hmm. sort of I want I want to kind of call it the head of the structure because it feels like it's like, a little bigger and yeah it's bigger and you would potentially enter down at the other end and then kind of walk towards it that's how I'm envisioning it mm-hmm. anyway the researchers did not say that in any way I'm like that's my <laughs> that's like me envisioning some kind of like ritual happening where everybody like enters at one end and walks down to the platform but anyway So some of the platforms had niches in them and they excavated them to find out what was in there. And this is what I thought was super interesting because they found zero domestic occupation. They found no human remains. They don't seem to have used these as burials for human 
But they did find in situ faunal remains. They were primarily cattle with some goat and sheep and even some gazelle like mixed in, but it was primarily cattle. So they excavated those out of a couple of the niches. And then some of the conclusions they're drawing is that the faunal remains appear to be like ritually placed in the niches and they might be from a sacrifice potentially. So the final conclusion, which you could kind of get from that title that you read out is that there might've been some kind of like cattle cult Mm. (laughs) and they were like not worshiping cattle necessarily, but like the cattle were clearly a very important part of their lifestyle as far as food and it sounds like everything kind of centered around cattle for them. So sure. this could have been some kind of cattle cult. So Speaking of that, these were originally called, by the original researchers who I guess found them and started studying them, they were called gates due to their resemblance to traditional, what's called a European field gate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but as with a lot of times when I guess European or Western researchers come in and name something that mm-hmm. is familiar to them, Eventually, somebody wisens up and, and names it something related to the actual native cultures of that area. Yeah. Like, you know, Denali changing in yeah, Alaska, yeah, yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. But anyway, that's where the word mustatil comes from. It's Arabic for rectangle. Yeah. So. And they wanted to distinguish them from these other, like, field gate things that they found mm-hmm. in Europe because they are different and they seem to have different purposes or whatever. Yeah. So they want them to be mixed up in the research. So, yeah, that is super interesting. And I, I liked this in particular because it's a lot of work to create these walls and these structures. Like they're very time intensive and there's tons of them Mm -hmm. and it just is such a really cool thing to see that people are potentially using it as like a ritual or a sacrifice situation with the primary source of meat in their area. I'm guessing they were probably herding cattle at this point. I'm sure. Yeah. So like it was probably something to help them make sure that they were securing their food source in their Mm -hmm. whatever religion or whatever beliefs they had. So I think that's really neat. And I guess some of the previously unknown information, probably just because they hadn't looked, and, and you've mentioned this a little bit already, were the the chambers that are within yeah. some of these bigger areas. Yeah. You know, which which would actually make sense because you're out in the you're out in the desert. Uh, deserts get hot in the summertime and cold in the wintertime. Although I don't know about Saudi Arabia. It's north of the equator, but not that far north. So I'm not sure. I mean I I was in the desert, the high desert of Tanzania, in October of 2005, and I'll tell you what, it was cold at night. Yeah. It was hot in the day, and it was freezing cold at night. Yeah. And just like the high desert in Nevada, it can be 100 degrees during the day, but 50 at night. Mm-hmm. So maybe if the people were you know, herding cattle into here and doing other things, maybe those chambers were used for... I don't know, to sleep in or to store things in or to do whatever. Well, there is so. no evidence of domestic anything in there. there so but, but it could have been temporary. They could have just had like their bedroll. They, they could have stayed in there. I'm just saying things would have had multiple uses. And it's really cool that they have this like almost self-contained area. You know, the cattle are safe and the... the yeah, it does make you wonder if maybe because of the largeness of them, if they mm-hmm. were somehow herding cattle into there or something like that, if it was like know. a... But they, but you know what? No, because they would have found like cattle droppings and things in the yeah. actual like in that area itself. So Probably. hard to say. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's yeah. it's really interesting. I'm guessing there's lots more research to be done to really like pin down exactly what they were using these things for. But it does seem to be related to, you know, their primary food source. So I do like that the modern descendants of 
people from this area. They call pretty much the entire collection of stone structures that are found in this area as works of the old men. That's all <laughs> that, that I really like that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So... <laughs> Anyway, that's really neat. There's a ton more in this article. It's very thorough. Yeah. Actually, a lot of times articles don't go into a lot of definitions and backstories. They expect you to just kind of look that up on your own because that's not their job mm-hmm. to explain it. But this article explains a lot about it does the area, what they're actually talking about, some other things. They don't just present their research and then you know, go drop. into some conclusions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, And there's a lot of pictures in the article as well, which really provide some some good imagery of, of what we're talking about here. Yeah, it's really neat. We definitely recommend checking that out because mm-hmm. if you do like I did originally and just skim, you know, the NBC article or one of the other major news sources, I think you're going to kind of miss the, the bigger point, which is how important cattle were to this this society and, you know, what they were potentially doing spiritually to ensure their their future food sources. Yeah, and I didn't look at the NBC article. I just looked at the yeah. article that you found, the, the original uh-huh. journal article. Did the NBC article link to this, or did you find it? Uh, it did not. Uh. I, <laughs> I mean, they said it was in antiquity, and then I had Come to... Come on, NBC. I know. I had to go, like, hunt it down. <laughs> yeah. All right. That seems like a typical media I mean, thing. I, I think a hallmark of good journalism is to actually cite your source and link yeah. to it, so yeah. people, can, people can see it. Otherwise, it feels a little disingenuous, like you're trying to say something, and you don't expect people to verify what you're saying. Yeah. That's I mean, probably not true. To be fair, it was very easy to find the article. Mm -hmm. It took like a quick search and I found it. Yeah. But I was like, come on, you guys could have linked to it. They could have linked to it. Yeah. So... All right. Well, that's probably it for this episode. If you want to support us, we've had a a number of new members lately and we thank everybody for joining the APN and supporting us with what we do. Head on over to arcpodnet.com forward slash members to see the information about our plans. Basically what you're doing for, I think it's $7.99 a month. It's cheaper if you pay for the whole year all at once. And basically what you're doing is you're supporting us at what we're doing. It's kind of like a donation. Mm -hmm. Although we do let you get access to these episodes commercial free and early, sometimes not too early, (laughs) but sometimes (laughs) as early as we can, (laughs) as early as we can get it edited. They're not available as a podcast necessarily that you can subscribe to. But if you go to the member, uh, one of the member pages, which we, we link you to when you become a member, then you can actually just listen to it on the website when it comes out and you get notified of that in our Slack team, which is look up Slack if you don't know what that is, but it's free too. Mm-hmm. And but we give you membership to our Slack team as a thank you for being a member, so you can get notified of those early downloads, and you can communicate with the hosts, with Rachel and I, with mm-hmm. any of the hosts of the other podcasts, and with any of the other members. We've got a lot of good continuing discussions going on over there for some of our other shows and and for this show, as a matter of fact. Thank you, Jill, for continuing to comment and listen. That's amazing. It's awesome to know that people are listening. Mm -hmm. So again, head on over there, join the conversation and thanks for listening. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.arcpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArcPodNet. You can also find us on the Lyceum app, a podcast app just for educational podcasts. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. 
visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.